0: So, Robbie, you're telling me you had a non-squeaky chair this whole time? And you just...
1: <laughs> well, I've, I've got a computer chair, and I just
2: grabbed a, a couch chair. <sighs> but he couldn't sit on it any other time. He could only not sit on it when
0: it was funny. <laughs> How very Roger Rabbit of you. This is the theme song at the start of the show. Stop wasting time on the theme song gonna watch a movie got a thousand more to go stop wasting time on the theme song watching everything on disney seeming like a chore and since i started singing they already added more so stop wasting time on the theme song just tell us the name of the show
2: it's called the podcast for tennis shoes
0: what a terrible name for the show it's worse than the theme song Hello and welcome to the podcast War Tennis Shoes, the podcast where we watch and rank all 1,759 movies on Disney Plus. That is three more since the last time we recorded. And you know what, guys? I think we chose the wrong streaming service to try and watch all of the movies (laughs) on because uh, apparently, according to the news today, if we were trying to watch every movie on HBO Max, uh, that number would actually be going down because a little uh, current events for you, Bobby, and audience members who haven't listened to the news in two weeks between when we record this and when it goes out. Apparently, HBO (laughs) Max has now... Not only canceled a bunch of upcoming movies that were going to go to their streaming service, they've also pulled six films from the service and may or may not be pulling more and more films as the service slowly dies because its new Discovery owners want to kill it in its bassinet. Canceled movies that have already been shot. Yeah, they shot Batgirl. It's not going to ever come out. Taking a tax write-off. And Scooby-Doo. And they've pulled uh, Seth Rogen's Un-American Pickle. If we were doing HBO Max, we'd almost be done. We 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 could sit back, and the number would be going down on its own.
2: Yeah, not such an insurmountable task. And unlike Disney, they would be saving us the trouble of
0: having to sit through unwatchable movies by the sounds of it. I don't know, man. There's like three Anne Hathaway movies on there. (laughs) So... (laughs) Uh, if we did switch over to Warner Brothers, though, we'd have to change the name. So we, uh, this, is, this is my proposal. If we switch over to HBO Max, we could call it... Oh, you got a name? We could call it Podcasta Blanca or A Streetcar Named Podcast. I'm all about a podcast named Desire. <laughs> <laughs> Rebel Without a Podcast. That's pretty good. Or Podcast Without a Cause. There's two options there. Um, THX1130Podcast. I thought about uh, The Exorcist, The (laughs) Podcastercist, The Podcastercist 2, The Heretic, The Podcastercist 3, The Podcastercist, The Beginning, Dominion, prequel to The Podcastercist. I'm just going to keep going on. (laughs) I'm Uh, trying to
1: figure out another way where you can put podcast into any of the subtitles.
0: Sesame Street Presents, follow that podcast. Pod Day Caster Soon. Wait, that's not right. Pod Day Caster Noon. Mm. i'm I'm sticking with
2: uh podcast forever instead of Batman forever because I love Batman forever it is my like ultimate guilty pleasure film I like legitimately love that movie
0: uh one last one if we do want to stick with a Kurt Russell film uh we could go pod go and cast <laughs> pod go and cast. <laughs>
2: Uh, We would get so many viewers because they would be like, what the fuck does that even mean? (laughs) It honestly took me a minute to figure that out. I'm not going to (laughs) lie.
0: All right, but we're not doing Warner Brothers films. We are doing Disney films. And this week we are doing... We
1: started on such a good note. Thank you, Sean. I almost forgot what yeah. we were reviewing today. I was
2: I Honestly, I wasn't going to say anything, because I was like, the longer he talks and has to make these up, the less I have to talk about fucking blank check.
0: Blank check! We are doing the 1994 film Blank Check. Robbie, tell us in your quietest voice possible why we're doing Blank Check.
1: Well, uh, we saw a tweet from uh, Advancity Ryan himself saying that Deadpool was going to be released on Disney Plus in the States. Uh, in Canada here, it already was. Uh, so... I searched Ryan Reynolds in the Disney Plus search bar, and the top result for a movie, the top result was some sort of prank show. I I don't know what it was, but that was a TV show, and we're not reviewing TV shows. But the top result for Ryan Reynolds' movie when you search on Disney Plus was blank check. Uh, So that's what we're doing today.
0: Tell me, Robbie, is Ryan Reynolds in blank check? As far as I could tell,
1: no, no. I I was looking for him in the the birthday party scene to see if maybe he had a cameo or something. He was an unpaid actor.
0: Who knows why the hell we got suckered into watching Blank Check by the Disney Plus search function, but we did. And just a little heads up to all our listeners. Robbie's mic is extra hot today, so he's going to try very, very, very hard to whisper all of his opinions and laugh like this. (laughs)
1: Tee-hee-hee. <laughs> yeah. we'll see how well that goes when i when i searched uh to, to find blank check on disney plus today i actually did search ryan reynolds and it came up again as the <laughs> <Neville fun result>. <laughs> <laughs> and then for some reason sleepless in seattle also came up too he's not in that either that's tom hanks or no sorry while you were sleeping isn't that bill Yeah, yeah, and Sandra Bullock.
0: All right, well, (laughs) this week we're doing Ryan Reynolds' blank check, and next week we're doing Ryan Reynolds' While You Were Sleeping. (laughs) So this movie came out in 1994. It was directed by Rupert Wainwright, whose previous credits were directing every single MC Hammer music video And his subsequent credits were the films Stigmata and the remake of The Fog. Really? So. That's it? It's arguable this is his high point. Written by the famous Blake Snyder, author of Save the Cat. And we will get to that a bit later. Discuss that in a bit more detail. Um, It stars. uh, Let me just pull it up here. Sorry. Here we go. It stars Brian Bonsal. Bonsal? Brian Bonsal? I'm going to guess Bonsal. I'm going to go with Bonsal. Nobody's <laughs> correcting me. Nobody's breaking in the door to tell me I'm saying that wrong. So I'm going to say Brian Bonsal. Well, I did, I'm trying to talk as
1: little as possible so I, you don't have to do as much sound editing. So You're whispering <laughs> yeah. the correction? Sean. Sean, Sean, it's Bonsal. Bonsal.
0: So he uh, was famous for uh, being in family ties. He also played Alexander, the son of Worf, on Star Trek The Next Generation. He plays Preston Waters in this film. Karen Duffy plays Shay Stanley. Uh, she also uh, was in Dumb and Dumber, released the exact same year. She had a big year. Almost as big as Jim Carrey? She <laughs> also in Dumb and Dumber played a character named Shay. So her career high point came in a year where she was in two films where she starred as someone named Shade. Uh Fun fact too, um, Tone Locke is
2: also, who is in this movie, Tone Locke is an Ace Ventura pet detective. Yes, he is. Tone Locke. Wait, is it Tone Loke? Tone Locke.
0: Oh, sorry, it is Tone Loke. See, you threw me off there, Bobby, when you started it, but it is Tone Loke, actually. Uh, Tone Loke uh, was in Fern Gully. He's the uh, salamander, I think. <laughs> What a funny sentence. He's the salamander? Most famous (laughs) for singing Funky Cold Medina, the song that starts off and you think, is this going to be about date rape? And then you're like, no, it's about transphobia. James Reborn plays Fred Waters. Uh, he's in a bunch of stuff. He's in Independence Day. He is in the game. He is famous for being in the Seinfeld finale as the prosecutors who send them all to jail. Uh, Jane Atkinson plays Sandra Waters. Rick DeCommon plays Henry. That is Rick, uh, Rick Dukeman. Is it Dukeman? I actually Googled the pronunciation of it and it said DeCommon, but that's just Google. If you have heard him say his own name and you're correcting me, that's fine. So
2: he, I believe, I think it is, it could, could be Ducommon. I always heard it Ducommon. I, I could be wrong on this, but he and his brother started Great Northern Skateboard Company, which then turned into Skull Skates, which is still owned and operated by his brother Pete, who operates Petey's Hot Shop in Vancouver that I used to frequent quite <laughs> often when I lived there.
0: Okay, I'm going to assume that you know then, because you're like, know this guy, okay? Google <laughs> turned me wrong. That's all I have to say. All right. I'm sorry. Pete, that from, I... Uh, from outside our back door, Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. I was about to say that. So, uh, I... I- I, I love this guy. You know, he's in a bunch of very small roles, but he's always memorable in those roles. He is in one scene in Spaceballs. He is in Groundhog Day. He's the guy who says, uh, I always thought that was good advice not driving on the train <laughs> yeah. tracks.
2: Uh, Phil, that's one I happen to agree with. He's also He also plays uh, the dad in Scary Movie, doesn't he? Probably
0: I don't remember that film. I have seen it. I try. That's not one of the highlights for me, but I do love Spaceballs and I I do love Groundhog Day, so he has a, a very dear place in my heart.
1: And he's in the burbs, too, I think.
0: He is in the burbs. That's why everybody wears Skullskate t-shirts in that movie. And oh, he's cool. from Prince Albert. I wasn't technically born there, but I spent the first five years of my life there. So oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry, too. We're all sorry. I overcame it. Uh, <laughs> finally, we have uh, Miguel Ferrer, who plays the villain Carl Quigley. So I learned a bunch of stuff. Googling this guy. Obviously, I recognize him. He's in Robocop. Uh, He's the vice president in Iron Man 3. He is the voice of Shan Yu, the villain in Mulan. Yep. He's in like three different NCIS type TV shows for the last 20 years. Uh, The thing about him, though, is he is the son of Jose Ferrer and Rosemary Clooney the famous pop singer, which means he is also the cousin of George Clooney. My mind is blown right now. Even crazier, this I didn't know, uh, Jose Ferrer, his first wife was uh, Uta Hagen, who wrote one of the more definitive books on the process of acting. And so we have a movie written (laughs) by the guy, Blake Snyder himself, the guy who wrote Save the Cat, And we have another six degrees of separation that takes us to Uta Hagen, the woman who wrote the textbook on acting. We got some royal talent here, I gotta say. And what came out uh, is something else entirely. Did
1: Um, did any of you uh, do a montage count?
0: uh, I wrote in my notes that, like... Once you get about to the second act, most of this movie is montage. It's rocky four levels of montage. It's, I think,
1: five montages. It doesn't quite go uh, burlesque, where it cuts from a montage to a montage. Uh, but this one has five montages in it.
0: Just to start off, I just want to say just a couple of things that I do not hate about this film. The first is uh, Brian Bonciel. Is that how I pronounce it, Robbie? (laughs) The kid who plays the lead, Preston Waters. Um, You know, this is basically peak era of Macaulay Culkin. This movie is just Disney saying, we need our own home alone. Uh, Macaulay Culkin was in like a thousand movies in 1994. Like he was literally in every single movie that came out this year. This is a Macaulay Culkin role. I kind of feel like uh, Brian does just as good or better than Macaulay Culkin would have done in this role. I don't mind the kid. I think he's he's doing a pretty good job. Uh, and I like Rick. Rick Dukamen. Dukuman, Duku.
1: This is just the episode where we mangle everyone's name.
0: I Googled them. This is the episode where I Googled in <laughs> advance, but apparently it was all wrong. Anyway, Bobby, tell me again. What's his
2: pronunciation? I, again, I, I, you know, now you, I don't want to say it now because now you've got me convinced it's
0: wrong. Okay. I'm going to jump into Dukamen. But anyway, Rick Dukamen, I like him in this movie. I think he's a lot of fun. I think he, he puts a lot of charm into a ridiculous role about this, this like middle-aged man who's his best hey, you're friend. Right the kid. <laughs> it's a 10-year-old kid that's paying him. Yeah,
1: I had a note. I was like, is he an employee or is he on <laughs> He's retainer? An like, does he just call like,
2: like like what is this relationship? I don't know the business transaction. But I kinda liked his performance. Like he I got the impression that a lot of his dialogue seemed improvised just because he was it looked oh, like he was just trying to make the kid laugh and have a good time.
0: Yeah. It was all improvised. He's just doing a routine, but like it's a routine that's appropriate for 10-year-olds. Yeah. You know, so like I, I I liked it. I was like, yeah, this is funny. I remember when I was, first time I saw this when I was a kid, this was probably the parts that I thought were funny anytime he was talking. But just to mention that I have seen this when I was a kid. I haven't seen it since. When we did Flight of the Navigator, I said that was a movie I loved as a kid and I was worried when I would return to it that it would end up being awful and it thankfully wasn't. I still liked it. This was a movie that I remember not liking as a kid. And I returned to it, and it is so much worse. It is so much worse. I
2: I really wanted to see it when I was a kid because the poster made it look so cool, and Preston looked so badass, and I was like, oh, man, I wish I had a million dollars. And in reality, what I really wish is that I'd never watched this film.
0: (sighs) All right. Well, Blake Snyder, the co-writer of this movie, uh, wrote the book Save the Cat. He's famous in Hollywood for writing exactly two films – This is the first. Second is Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. That's the other one. (laughs) Why this guy is the authority on screenwriting, well, it's not linked to the movies that he actually got produced. Now, he had a lot of unproduced screenplays that he sold. He sold a screenplay for a million dollars to Steven Spielberg called Nuclear Family. Uh, The premise is a family goes camping at a nuclear waste site. Steven Spielberg got on the phone immediately and bought it for a million dollars. He bought the title. Those pun titles, man. Yeah. You can't go wrong with that. There's a story in the book Save the Cat where Blake Snyder discusses selling this script. They wrote it and then they put together about a dozen children's backpacks and they filled those backpacks with fake money and then they put the script in there too. And then they mailed these backpacks full of fake money to the people who would buy the scripts. I thought, I thought you were still talking about nuclear family there for a second. And I was like, what the hell does that have to do with that? <laughs> no, this is how he sold blank check. The way he sold nuclear family is that he put the scripts into <laughs> fake <of> nuclear-, <laughs> nuclear waste canisters. Yes. Is that, is that actually true? This is true. Yo. No. <laughs> yes, this is true. Oh,
1: man, I'm so sorry. I, I burst your story. That's <laughs> too funny. I didn't know that was actually a thing.
0: No, it's funny that you guessed it. Uh, yeah, he sent that to Steven Spielberg, and Steven Spielberg was so impressed that he bought it for a million dollars. He sent this bag of fake money and a script to Disney executives, and they bought this one also for a million dollars. black check is a million dollar script, and he cashed in all of that cachet. To uh, write his book, Save the Cat, which breaks down the uh, formula for writing screenplays. And so I've recorded for myself his beat sheet of what you need to do to craft a standard Hollywood blockbuster family-friendly film. And I just want to go through that when we go through this film, okay? okay. So the first thing he says – It's only fair. Is that at the beginning of the film, obviously, you need your opening image. And he says that the first image of your film uh, needs to be thematically and tonally connected to the rest of the film. Bobby, do you remember what the first image of this film is? It
2: is – is it Miguelf? Ferrer escaping train- – is it yeah. the railroad tracks? He's running down the railroad tracks?
0: Yeah. Yes, it is train tracks in driving rain as a fugitive in a orange jumpsuit flees from what is no doubt the pursuing legal authorities, while a very industrial musical score, basically that also sounds like the film The Fugitive plays in the background – so I have to ask you, is this tonally or thematically connected to the rest of this film? No, because I
2: had a note about, I think, Nicholas Pike doing the music that I was like, this is blank check. Like it's 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 like got that like Terminator 2 like dark blue filter over top of everything. It's really dark. It's like almost kind of like thriller style music on that synthesizer, as you said. And then the next image, um, Robbie's gonna enjoy this, was I was critiquing Miguel Fer- Ferrer's uh torching techniques (laughs) because you saw he he it is torch we're back to torch talk because he was actually torching and i was trying to figure out the logistics of him not having any gloves any sort of protection on torching that plate open five feet from his face while i didn't see any oxygen tanks or anything around but that is just me and my four years of working in a scrapyard knowing how
0: fucking dangerous that shit is Thank you once again for joining us at Torch Talk. <laughs> all right. So uh, after he uh, tries to torch his way into his uh, hidden chamber under in this abandoned warehouse, he finds all well, of his. It can't
1: be abandoned because there's like an acetylene torch there that's just ready to go. All right.
0: Well... Back to Torch Talk. Bobby.
2: do people leave their torches <laughs> anywhere in these abandoned warehouses? Um, I mean, I, uh, typically no. Those are going to be like canisters that have to be segregated and chained up and put in a special area. Typically outside because you don't want to store uh, compressed cylinders inside a building because if they blow up, the building's going to go
0: with it. So no. Once again, this has been Torch Talk with Bob. So this entire opening sequence, it also reminds me that right when he gets his money, we get a big old credit for director of photography, Bill fucking Pope.
1: Yeah, Bill fucking
0: Pope. Bill fucking Pope did the did the cinematography on this, and I gotta say, what the fuck, Bill? <laughs> <laughs> you know, this movie, movie looks Pope? like ass.
2: There's a there is a really really bad insert uh, of the banker holding the check that like actually stood out to me later because it's the rest of the movie it's just it's so grainy and
0: zoomed in. But you saying that I was like this does look like ass. The thing is, Bill Pope I think is is one of the best working today. The guy is absolutely fantastic. He did the Matrix trilogy. He did Team America World Police. He did Spider Man two and three. He did uh, Shang Chi. Uh, he's doing Quantum Mania. Uh, he did uh, Edgar Wright films. He did um, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. He is, I think, probably perhaps the best kind of like workhorse studio director of photography that is out there. I mean, you can name people like uh, Emmanuel Lubezki, Roger Deacons, Giannis. And Giannis Kaminski. And like you can put to those people as – the best people working in the field today, but that stuff kind of draws attention to itself, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But that's flashy cinematography. Bill Pope, his movies don't draw attention to themselves, but they're beautiful and any excuse people take to not talk about blank check on this podcast we will take it we're never we're never gonna get there we're never gonna get into this film we're like just, we're like 27 minutes in and we like haven't gotten past the opening credits i just want to talk about bill pope anyway i love bill pope but i did not love the look of this film i no. guess you gotta start somewhere can we pause for
2: one second there's this really fucking weird noise in my house that i don't know if you guys can hear it but i don't know if it's getting picked up we pause just for one sec
0: i can't hear nothing is it a is it a is it a ghost? I think
2: Maybe it's just something outside. Maybe it's the hum of the fridge in the other room. If you guys can't hear it, then no. okay, it should be fine.
0: I mean, if you're about to get ghost-faced, we have it all on tape, yeah. so that's cool. I, do, I just don't want this to get ruined. You don't care about getting a ghost-faced. You just don't want to upset the audio quality. Yeah, yeah, we got yeah, Robbie yeah, yeah. over I, there. He can't even be bothered to switch out his fucking squeaky chair, but Bobby's going to take a yeah. knife to the face as long as it doesn't upset <laughs> the recording. Yeah. Ah, oh, I guess we have to talk about this film. Yeah. So... After we get this The Fugitive intro, which I'm sorry, uh, Snyder, has nothing thematically or tonally to do with the rest of your film. We're introduced to Preston. Preston Waters. And he's addressing the camera in one of those he's rehearsing a speech kind of ways. And his speech is about how he's telling his father that he doesn't want his brothers to use his room. Reveal that he's talking to his fish, who he's named Alan. Alan. So not particularly creative young man, but whatever. (laughs) Um, And then his father and his brothers burst in because they're taking over his bedroom and to turn it into a business office to his brothers. Bobby, what the fuck is this business? It is
2: a business of complicated 90s high fives (laughs) from what I gathered by their entrance into the room. I believe they patent and sell those to different teenagers in the neighborhood.
0: They have like a stonecutter's handshake. Yeah. <laughs> they like spin around and grab each other's foot. That's how they high five. It's
1: never explained what they do, but they require computers for
0: it and office space.
2: Like, And they require such high tech computers that their dad steals one from his office. Yes, he them. does.
0: The first lesson this father is teaching his sons about business is embezzlement. Yeah. Steal from work. Misappropriation of assets.
1: So Preston is uh, very upset at his brother and his dad for taking over his room to run some sort of handshake business uh, (laughs) that they they require, you know, two, three computers for. His dad uh, says to Preston, young man in this family, industry gets rewarded. All you're doing in here is playing. Let's look at the first things his dad says on screen. It's such, oh my
0: God, I was so infuriated at his dad from that moment onwards. All right, so that brings me back to the Snyder beat sheet. He says, within the first five pages, you need to get the theme, and the theme needs to be stated explicitly to the protagonist. Someone needs to say (laughs) to the protagonist what the theme of the movie is. So, Robbie, what do you think the theme of the movie is, based on what you just said? Capitalism. It's just nothing but capitalism. Money makes you happy. In this house, industry gets rewarded. Yeah. Um, The kids say, uh, he who has the gold makes the rules. Yeah. I also wrote down a possible theme uh, as it takes place within the first five pages is when his brothers punch him, they say, don't rub it, be a man. Yeah. So maybe that's the theme of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, anything that's explicitly said to the protagonist could be what he's going for. And then the next scene... Our hero, Preston, has
1: to go to some sort of amusement park for Butch's birthday, and he doesn't have any money. And it's just playing up the fact that money buys you happiness because all the kids with money get to go on all these rides, and Preston has to go on a merry-go-round
0: and eat some wet cotton. Why palm. are they making him go to this birthday party? Like e- Exactly. This kid's life is is horrifying he doesn't want to go he's like i don't want to go to this party yeah. his father forces him to go refuses to give him money to pay to get into this place and so he has to stand there and watch them go on rides it's like so pa-
1: <laughs> sadistic
2: <laughs> it's summer vacation why is the entire class going to the school bully's birthday if you're at summer you don't have to see any of the people yeah. from school yeah, here he is going to one of those classroom birthdays where their parents are like, well, you have to invite the whole class. Not in the middle of fucking summer, you don't. I, I just said, I have a note. It says, wow, really driving home the capitalism theme here, aren't we, guys? His brothers rob
0: him at this point, too, don't they? Or does that come after? That's before. That's in the first scene. His brothers rob him of his life savings. Yeah, his piggy bank, his yeah. jar of change. To invest into the family business. He then takes the computer that the father lends them for their business, opens up a spe- uh, a – A text-to-speech program. speech, I think, or
1: something is what it was called.
0: And has the program say, Damien and Ralph sleep butt to face. And it repeats that about 10, 15 times. (laughs) And Damien and Ralph go, huh? Who said that? As if they're confused about which of the three people in the room (laughs) said Damien and Ralph sleep butt to face in a clearly robotic voice. Uh, So they're not the brightest- the brightest people i gotta say well they started a business about
2: handshakes and they require two computers (laughs) i'm just stealing your joke now bobby oh no it's fine and i mean it's like they require two computers that none of them know how to use like the dad steals them a computer and is like I (laughs) i don't know what to do with it and just walks away
1: and then he says press and why don't you set it up
0: for him he tells them he's like all you do around here is play industry gets rewarded he forces him to do the brothers work for them that is apparently their business and then doesn't reward him, doesn't give him any money. They have some sort of Cinderella situation going on here, right? Like Preston is a stepchild. Yeah, that's for the sure. only explanation. For how they treat him. He is treated like Cinderella. The two brothers are praise rewarded. They are showered with cash and presents. And the parents are constantly berating Preston, punishing him for nothing, mocking him, and then forcing him to stand outside of a theme park and watch other kids have (laughs) fun. Skip
1: ahead to the very end of the movie. Uh, there's a birthday party. Mr. McIntosh and Preston have the same birthday. Preston's family goes to dinner for Preston's birthday without Preston. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, he's he's a stepson, right? I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure that the, the father is <laughs> it's not his father. Because at one point... The, the two brothers even refer to the father as Pops, and he says, don't call me that. I don't know why you wouldn't want to be called Pops unless you're actually not these kids' father. Like, he's a stepfather. Like, this whole situation is a Cinderella thing going on. Maybe. That's my, that's my background. It's the only way to explain the way they treat Preston. Like, it's, it's, it's abusive. It is psychologically abusive what they're doing to this kid. I,
1: I guess this is the point where we just load on the parents, because when – after Preston gets hit by a car and brings home his bike,
0: they ground him for getting hit by a car.
1: Yeah, they said we thought we taught you to to learn to take care of your valuables, your possessions, your possessions. They they value the bike above his life. He I was know.
0: hit by a car, and they say, "But what happened to the bike? <laughs> You're grounded because the bike got damaged." Yeah, it's his it's comical. Suck. It's beyond suck. They're like evil abusive wicked step
2: parents I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna stand up for jane atkinson in the role of sandra waters in that simply because there's no possible way she could do any of those things in this movie because her character barely exists the mother is just there because the family needs to have a mother she has all of six lines of dialogue in this movie
0: <laughs> i'm not even sure she is the mother i think they refer to her as mom on a couple <laughs> of occasions but like her dialogue is weirdly non-maternal because she is only there as a sex joke on like two occasions. Really? Her introduction yeah. beats me how this is in a Disney film for kids, but when the father is installing the computer and he's plugging it in oh, yeah. and the two the two golden children, the the uh the actual biological children, <laughs> they say we don't know how to work it. And uh he says, the computer will teach you everything you need to know except how to make love to a woman. And then the mother enters at that exact moment and she says, I guess I know what to buy your father for Christmas. Now... I don't quite understand the joke because I'm not sure whether the joke means that the only thing the father's good at is how to make love to a woman. And so the old, she's like, well, I got to buy you a computer then because that'll teach you everything else. Or because like the joke doesn't make sense. The punchline, I think, is supposed to be, oh, then I'll buy you the thing that teaches you how to make love to a woman. Yeah. But he just said the computer won't teach you how to make love to a woman. I don't understand yeah. the joke. Well, now, now in my theory, the mom... Uh, in my head uh, the mom uh,
1: had preston out of wedlock uh she was so sick and tired of uh <laughs> the dad's shit that he uh she <laughs> she slept around so that's why that's why the dad
0: hates him so much that makes perfect sense preston is a bastard child yeah interesting we okay good we have just invented like two more levels to this film
1: <laughs> that the the movie didn't bother putting any levels in this film
0: the only dialogue attributed to the mother is complaining about the father's lack of sexual ability. So obviously that is what we needed to understand about this character. And the other thing we understand is that they are very uncomfortable with the existence of Preston and hate him. And so he represents marital troubles. He represents... The the unsolvable problem in their lives and he won't leave. He's always there reminding him of his <laughs> failure and reminding her of her infidelity.
1: This is why they hate him so much. No wonder Preston wants money. He gets no happiness from his family.
0: He's got a Cinderella situation. He has to constantly like clean out the fireplace. Yeah. So does does that fall on the tiger
2: scale? Where, whereabouts are we with this?
0: I that's not in his beat sheet. <laughs> None of this is in his beat sheet. We're we're on uncharted <laughs> land here, man. We are off the grid. We're going without a map. I have to say, I did enjoy the montage of him standing outside the amusement park, watching them on rides. And again, I thought- Oh, I didn't even write that montage down. There's six montages in this movie. There's a lot of montages. But I thought, again, Brian- <laughs> he was funny I, I thought it was amusing just how sad he looked and the, the movie just kept going it's like yeah. we get the point and, yeah. and then it's like no we're gonna cut to them having more fun and cut back to brian being sad and cut to them having more fun it's like four minutes of yeah. this well yeah they had to
1: drive home that capitalism is the answer
0: i mean like that i mean there was this
2: little part in me that's like oh the, I, I remember being that kid that kind of sucks I, I mean yeah it was it was effective and and you know like it's funny but like there was this little moment of like oh yeah i kind of i kind of remember being that kid that
0: did it suck i like the sequence it goes on way too long but that honestly made it funnier to me sorry guys i gotta i gotta,
2: I gotta stop for a sec. I'm sorry
0: got an emergency phone call all right well now we can um record the important stuff without his audio ruining it
2: now now after 45 minutes we can move past the opening scene of the movie i'm,
0: I'm perfectly willing to go very fast through the rest of this film <laughs> or even if this ends up being our like four hour episode and only 20 minutes of it is actually talking about blank check let's talk about something else okay are you back? Is there uh, an
1: emergency? Yeah, I got an emergency. Okay, so you have to leave. I'll be back as soon as possible. Just record without me, and I'll pop back in. And uh, okay, I'll, I'll pick up where we we where we left off. Just just cut in like my laughter. So every time you guys say something funny, just do this the exact same laugh over
2: and over again. All right. Bye bye now. Where the fuck were we?
0: I don't know. Uh, so we're talking about Blank Check. It's a movie about a kid. Uh, Okay, so we I think
2: we got past the montage where he has had he has gone to the evil redheaded child's birthday party who seemingly only invited Preston because he knew Preston was poor couldn't afford to go on anything. And the only gift that Butch really wanted for his birthday was to watch Preston suffer
0: was to revel in his pain. Yeah, because that's what he does. He invites them. And I actually wrote it down. He says, well, if it isn't Preston the presto, I don't get that. I mean, I know it's supposed to sound mean, but I, uh, what does that mean? I don't. I'm I what 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 does anything in this fucking movie mean? <sighs> anyway, yeah. So he just he wants to revel in his pain. Doesn't have any money, so he just goes on roller coasters. As they pass Brian, they just point and laugh at him. Yeah. As Brian stands there, dressed like a forty five year old accountant at a barbecue, he's got like a polo shirt like tucked into khaki shorts. Like, what is this kid doing? Yeah. I mean, it, it was it was the nineties, but yeah. now I see what you're saying. So he goes home and he's sitting for dinner with his parents. He's complaining about the fact that he doesn't have any money. Mm-hmm. And again, his parents are just like eat shit because the brothers are going to go to a basketball game and he's like can i go then his father says uh well no they they saved their money and then the father turns to them and says oh do you need any extra cash which i actually found amusing because it's a metaphor for how if you have money you don't actually need money because people just give you more money yeah if you don't have money all you get is disdain and You get nothing. You just get a kick in the ass from your father. (laughs) Who might not even be your father. (laughs) Who's not your biological father. (laughs) Who knows who your biological father is. You know what? I'm going to assume that it's Hank. (laughs) (laughs) That suddenly makes this movie a lot more meaningful. He actually got to know his, his biological father. And Hank knows that too. That's why Hank spends so much time with yeah, him. Yeah, that's why that's why he's he's not even on
2: retainer, and why he's like there all the time.
0: It's his only opportunity to actually get to know his son, because he promised the kid's mother that he would never actually reveal it, even though the parents know the truth, but they don't talk about it.
2: And you know, what, and this 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 adds up. I mean, as to like, yeah, you can just see it. Like, mom gets fed up of dad's bullshit, goes out for a night out of the town, rents herself a limousine. And she's gonna have, this is like finally gonna be her night.
0: Okay, yeah.
2: I like this movie.
0: I, I like our movie I better. called him Hank. I think his name is actually Henry.
2: Yeah, it, yeah, it is, but I knew who you meant. <laughs> I mean, maybe everyone calls him Hank. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think Hank is a version of Henry, isn't it? I, I think it could be, yeah. I'm going to call him Hank. So from this he comes. Yeah, we see he doesn't have money, and then he's he's complaining about his birthday party, isn't he? And how his birthday's coming up, and he doesn't know what's. And so he gets one of his birthday presents early um, from his grandmother
0: because they're trying to cheer him up because he has nothing. And, the, and then the mother says, well, "Why don't we give you one of your presents early?" Mm. Uh, she hands them a letter from his grandmother, and inside is a check, but the amount is blank. And initially, he's quite upset about this because he says, "Oh, great! It's a check for nothing." typical and then his father explains to him that no no no, it's just a blank check she just forgot to fill in the amount so we can fill that in for her because she already signed it because as long as you sign it well then we can fill in the amount and the, the bank will still accept that which is laying the foundation for the entire premise of how this movie operates
2: which for a very brief moment I thought the movie was oh my god he stole a million dollars from his grandma <laughs>
0: <laughs> it completely changed my perception of this movie. <laughs> the, pro- the plot of the movie is he steals a million from his granny and just goes on a spending
2: spree, <laughs> which which adds up. Depending on which side the grandma's from, she might not actually be his grandmother. Maybe she hates him as much as the rest of the family. It's
0: not biologically related. Wow. <laughs> him and Henry are finally going to get that <laughs> money that's coming to them. So here's how he learns the secret about blank checks. So his father writes in $10 into the amount, and that's what he's going to take to the bank to deposit in the bank so that he can get interest.
2: It's uh, he's going. He says, wait, how old are you turning this year? Let's make it 11.
0: Which I actually – so here's a little bit of – Sean does uh, some unnecessary math. So he goes upstairs, and he puts into his computer – he's very good with computers. He's the only one in the house who seems to know how to do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he has a an accounting spreadsheet that he knows how to use. He's better at accounting. His brothers apparently have incorporated a business and he's the only one <laughs> who knows how to do any kind of accounting. <laughs> but he tries to calculate how long it will take to turn $11 into a million dollars. And the software spits out that it's going to take 375,000 years yeah. at an interest rate of 3.45%. 3. 3. Now, I – I thought that sounded a bit wrong. So I actually put that into an interest calculator. And the actual answer is 350 years using the same interest rate calculator. I don't know. I think they just said as funnier if we add a 1000 onto the end of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At any rate, it's going to take a while. But he goes to the bank to deposit this $11. There is a I, I want to touch
2: on something really quick is because he has the list of things he wants to do when he get rich. Or the things he wants in life. And number one at the top of his list is knock off
0: my brothers. That's the only thing on his list at the beginning. Yeah. In fact, at this point, it's still the only thing on the list. He has one item on his list. Yeah. He has drafted a birthday list. The only item is murder my two non-biological brothers. (laughs) But he goes to the bank and he takes his $10 in. And as he goes into the bank, he sees... The introduction of our female lead, our somehow, somehow romantic interest, Shay. And her introduction is with an angelic orchestration. A choir appears in the background. Heavenly light comes down upon her. We see her walk in slow motion to the counter because she is a 35-year-old woman who's working at the bank. And he has fallen in love with her on
2: first sight. I And I have my first note regarding her entrance is, oh, he's in love with the teller. So awkward. Um, this is going to be a theme that will be revisited throughout my notes and the yeah. rest of the viewing of this film.
0: Yeah, I think awkward isn't going to cover it um, as we get further. I
2: thought I this was the first introduction. I thought awkward would be enough. But no, no, no.
0: So he goes up to her and he says, I'd like to deposit this $10 or $11. And I'd like to start an account, please. And she says, we have an, a minimum balance of $200. So you'll have to come back when you get $200. And he says, I guess I'll come back then. Even though it's going to take a million years. And then she flirtatiously says, well, I hope to see you again soon. I hope it's not in a million years. And at that moment... You hear that and you're like, that's a weird way to deliver that line. It sounds very flirtatious, but it's probably meant to just be friendly. It's probably just intended to be an adult woman trying to be charming and friendly to this yeah, little boy to like, who is intimidated. She's like the one person that's being nice to him,
2: is you kind of get. It's like you can tell he's upset yeah. and she's like, oh, I'll, I'll just be nice to him is the impression. Yeah, that's
0: probably it. Except no, it's not. No, it's not. Uh, It's very clear that no, it's intended to be flirtatious um, as we continue through this movie. So he then leaves the bank and at that exact same time, our villain returns. He walks into the bank with the million dollars that he had stored underneath his hidden warehouse. And he takes it into Bitterman, who is president of the bank and... Apparently him and Bitterman have a past, and they've been laundering money in the past, and he needs to do a bit more laundering. He needs to take this million dollars, which is all in sequential bills, sequentially numbered bills, and he needs to launder it through the bank so that it can be turned into cash that he can then use and Bitterman is reluctant to work with him again because Bitterman actually ratted him out during his original trial when he went to prison. Mm -hmm. But he threatens Bitterman's family, and so Bitterman agrees to do this money laundering. And he tells him, okay, I'm going to send someone in here tomorrow at 1 o'clock p.m., and they're going to have a check for a million dollars, and you're going to give them the laundered money. And he says, okay. He walks out of the bank, he gets in his car, Preston is biking away at the same time, and he basically runs over Preston, Rex's his bike.
2: I did like the little, like, villainous touch, and, like, maybe this falls on the Snyder scale to make you not like the villain that before he backs up, he blows himself a kiss in the rearview mirror of his jaguar.
0: So here we go. I just got to go back to our uh, beat sheet here. So we've got the theme stated to the protagonist on page five, which is either in this house we reward industry, or he who makes the gold makes the rules, or Be a Man, Don't Rub It. It's one of those. And then around page 12 is where we get the catalyst or the inciting incidents. That's approximately where we are now. We are right around the time he's going to be hit by the villain in the car. So he's on his bike, leaving the bank. The villain leaves the bank in the car. He hits him with the car, wrecks the bike, Uh, He's initially going to just leave, but there are some witnesses and there are some cops approaching. And so in order to kind of calm the situation, he asks Preston, how much do you want for the bike? I'll pay you for the damage I did to the bike. Preston doesn't immediately give him a number. So he just gives him a blank check that's signed. He gets in his car and he drives away. he says,
2: yeah, because he hears the sirens and he looks over his shoulder and says, tell you what, kid, give this to your dad. He'll know what
0: to do. Well, his dad did know what to do with the grandma.
2: yeah. And so it is kind of set up, uh, but also based on the dad's work morals of it's okay for me to steal from work. The exact same movie would have taken place had he given the check to his father.
0: Yeah, it just would have been the father buying the castle, his yeah. father getting the virtual reality set up, his father having the slide outside of his office into the pool. And then
2: there would have been the family coming being like, are you going to come home for your son's birthday? <laughs> Instead of throwing yourself a $20,000
0: party. <laughs> And and him and Henry would have been be best friends, even though Henry was the one who slept with his wife. That would have been a very different movie where Henry would have revealed to him at a very dark moment that he was actually the one who slept with his wife. And then in a fit of anger, he murders Henry. And then we have a third act where he's now on the run
2: from the law. Running from both the gangsters and the police.
0: On the exact same train tracks. Uh,
2: yeah, and then, then the fugitive intro makes sense.
0: Then it ties back, because another rule... Of uh, the beat sheet is that you have your opening image, which is going to deliver your theme and your tone. And if you can, it's great to have a closing image that mirrors the opening image. And so in our alternate version of this movie, the closing (laughs) image of the father running in the other direction down the same train tracks (laughs) (laughs) away from the law. 'Cause he murdered Henry for making him a
2: cuckold. So so what I'm getting out of this is we're going to mail a child's back a bloodstained child's backpack full of
0: money <laughs> <and the> <laughs> to Disney for to blank Disney. check two? <laughs>
2: <laughs> or inside the bag is is, is, is a bloody chauffeur hat. Alright, so where are we? What are we talking about here? Oh, so this is – he comes home with the – because this is where his parents are yelling at him about the bike. This is what you were talking about earlier. He comes home and his parents are like, wow, like, I can't believe you got your bike ruined. I, we don't care about that you were almost hit by a car. That man almost did us a favor.
0: Yeah, they Cinderella him once again. Yeah. They are so enraged that they've damaged this possession, uh, this this capitalist possession that they own, which they value over the life of their bastard child that yeah. represents everything wrong with their marriage. Um, that they're enraged at him and they ground him for getting hit by a car because he doesn't protect his valuables enough.
2: There was a little shot here and I only made a
0: note of it because he's wearing a calculator watch. Very 1994. Yeah. He's the only one in the house who can do basic math, I assume.
2: But he's really, he's really good at it. And that's, that's the kind of note I have is because he knows enough that he perfectly types out the margins of a check through his printer so that he can print the check and not write the money so it's not child's writing. Mm-hmm. Um, onto the blank check, but he also, you know, there's this whole thing of he's like, should I make it a hundred? Should I make it a thousand? No, I should make it a million. And then perfectly makes a fake check as if it was printed by
0: a business. And I was like, hang on, he didn't know how to open a bank account earlier today. Well, you know, he's a he's a catch-me-if-you-can prodigy. <laughs> Basically, that's also what happens in the sequel. The father's on the run from the law for murdering Henry, and the son is an international fraudulent check thief.
2: Yeah, oh yeah, you know, no, I could I could see that because with the money his father left over, the son uses it to kill his older brothers and therefore take up the
0: mantle. <laughs> see, that's what I'm. That, that's one of the things that surprises me though, because this kid gets into a sage situation where. The top thing on his birthday list, in fact, the only thing on his birthday list a couple of days ago was, have my brothers knocked off. He doesn't even say murder my brothers. He specifically wants to hire an assassin to murder his brothers. He then finds himself in a situation where he A, has a million dollars and B, is constantly running into criminals. You would think this would be the optimal scenario to hire someone to murder his brothers, yet he doesn't take that opportunity.
2: Well, you're set up to do it now. You've got the money. Just say Macintosh hired them. He's not real. You've got a Ponzi. You're fine.
0: Yeah. He missed his opportunity. Anyway, so he takes this million-dollar fake check to the bank. He takes it to a different teller. He goes up to the teller, and he's hesitant, right? And so he's hesitant to give Mm -hmm. the check, and then the teller says, well – are you coming? And it's a very kind of like resisting the call moment, right? We're right at the end of act one. We're right going to go into act two. He needs to take the plunge to take the steps to become the millionaire. But he's a little hesitant at first and he needs to be a little bit pushed where someone's like, well, are you going to do it? And I was like, ah, there it is. There it is. Going into act two. That's the moment. So we're at about page 25. <laughs> we're breaking into act two. He goes, I just love this. He goes into Bitterman's office, and uh, Bitterman hears that he has a check from the villain for a million dollars. And it coincidentally happens to be one o'clock, which is exactly when his associate was going to show up with a check for a million dollars to collect the money. And the weird part is, is that Bitterman asks the kid, Are you juice? And the kid says, no. I mean, it, 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 he says, I'm not thirsty.
2: Yeah, he, he just looks at him. He doesn't say any juice. He just says, juice. And the kid says, no, thanks. I'm not thirsty.
0: It, but it sounds like that's a no. Like, it sounds like that's a situation yeah. where you're like, I don't think this is the person. But for some reason, he takes that answer as affirming that this is the person that he's looking for. And he gives the kid $1 million in cash. The dialogue's written as if you could take it as gangster talk. Because the next line is... How
2: did you run into him? And the kid says, well, he ran into me. And then the teller laughs and is like, oh, brilliant. This is brilliant. You you tell him this is such a good idea. Like, it's that the president or owner of the bank, whatever it's supposed to be, is... He just thinks it's brilliant that he sent a child in to collect the money because nobody would think it.
0: Oh, you so, so you think that this is all, like, code speak? Like, he says juice and the, the affirmation is, no thanks, I'm not thirsty. Except... He's forgotten that they didn't establish code speech. So yeah, he's just no, 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 no. He's just like maybe, maybe we made up code speech, and because I forgot. Because when
2: when Juice actually comes in, all Bitterman does is speak in code, and the actual Juice is like, "What the fuck are you talking about? Just give me the goddamn money." <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah that's right he keeps giving him code he keeps wants to do gangster code speech that does explain it so the kid walks out with the money juice doesn't get the money because juice comes in which is tone loke who we spoke about before so now we are in act two and so I just want to say act two according to the beat sheet first half of act two is mostly just what he calls fun and games carrying through on the promise of the premise So if the movie establishes a premise that you're going to sell the audience on, you want to carry out that premise in the first half of the second act. And you just want to spend a bunch of time having as much fun with it as possible. And I got to say, that's exactly what he does here. Because the first half of the second act is just a montage of this kid spending a million dollars. So if you saw the poster for this movie, and the poster of the movie is... This kid's going to get a million dollars, he's going to spend all of it. Well, they carry through on the promise of that premise, I gotta say. So, delivered
2: there. The women in this movie just exist. Every other bank teller in this scene with Tone Lope exists for, him to, for them to bend over in their miniskirts and high heels, for him to look at them and make inappropriate comments in a Disney film. Well, it,
0: this movie posits two things. One, life is about a collection of assets.
2: Yeah. Two,
0: women are assets.
1: Yeah. Hey, boys. I'm back.
2: Aw, oh, damn it. We were doing so well, too.
1: have I been replaced by an empty chair.
2: You, you, you were gone for 20 minutes, and we actually started talking about the film for a while. Perfect. My job is secure. From that delightful high note, we cut to Preston deciding he wants to buy the castle that he lives next door to. You've talked about the castle already? <laughs> no, we haven't. <laughs> no, you actually. haven't. Talked this about is about an castle? introduction. Oh, man. You I came back, back just, just in time just for in the time. castle. Um, the villain of the movie is also trying to buy the castle It's a
1: castle in suburban indiana <laughs> it's a full-fledged like 15th century castle that this old couple either built or has been in their family since the 15th century we're led to believe it's not only that <laughs> it is on
0: the same block that preston lives
1: it's on the same block It's like, it's like, do you remember that old Super Nintendo game Paperboy? How it was just like this suburban house, just this house, castle,
0: (laughs) garbage dump, castle. (laughs) First of all, this movie was shot in Austin, Texas, and that castle exists in Austin, Texas. It's called Pemberton Castle. No, it was real. It's a real castle that can be purchased and was purchased by the filmmaker, robert rodriguez
1: are you serious robert rodriguez owns that house
0: that's where spy kids was shot (laughs) that's where he shoots all of his films now is the water slide real i'm fairly certain that's where he shot the book of boba fett particularly the jabba's palisades oh my god i didn't know that thing was real like it
1: looks like from the outside like a hundred percent of that.
0: Well, it looks like they're still shooting in that shitty amusement park. Yeah. And that's just like the haunted castle ride. Yeah. It's across from the roller coaster. There's just like, ooh, walk through our haunted castle. And they're like, oh, we could just use this for the film. Wait, so did they shoot interiors there too? Yeah. No. That's what the interiors, that's where Robert Rodriguez lives. Oh, my yes. mind
1: is being blown right now. What's so good, Um, like one of the last shots of the movie uh, when uh, they're walking away at the party and it's just like them walking away from the castle. The castle is on the street, right? There's no like front lawn at all, right? And then the camera kind of pans over and there's just like suburban houses that are right there that are like 40 feet back, normal houses. I'm like, how did this get zoned? How is this a thing?
2: Who signed off on this? I need to know more. It's Texas. The answer to all of those questions is Texas. You, you, you don't mess it with it. It has fucking
0: turrets. <laughs> it has turrets. As if it is expecting someone to storm that it. That is
2: fantastic.
1: That's on the list of places to go now. It's just to go see Robert Lee's <laughs> house.
0: It's part of the tour. It's part of that hop-on, hop-off <laughs> bus
2: tour. This is also, this was the moment that it like finally clicked on with me as I was watching it. That I was like, oh, this is, this is just Home Alone. Because they literally lift a plot point. From Home Alone, where Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone 2, which came out two years prior in 1992, uses his talk boy to steal his dad's credit card and rent a hotel room in the penthouse suite in, like, the nicest hotel in New York. Preston uses his talking computer to pretend he is a man who wishes to purchase the castle.
0: Just like how the black hole was Disney saying, we need a Star Wars, this is Disney saying, we need a Home Alone. Yeah. And just like the black hole is not Star Wars, this movie is not fucking Home Alone. (laughs) So what about um when was Richie Rich made? The same year. That's the craziest thing. Richie okay. Rich actually came out slightly after this movie, which oh. blew my mind because yeah. when I watched it, I was like, this is just Home Alone meets Richie Rich. I know. It's two Macaulay Culkin films crushed into one, yeah. except Richie Rich actually technically came out just after this one.
2: They were probably huh. in production at the same time, though. I'm, I'm sure. They probably were. And I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure someone at Disney was like, hey, we got no, 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 go, go, go now. We got to double Macaulay before Macaulay beats us to it.
0: Yeah, Macaulay Culkin is doing an I'm Rich and I'm Home Alone movie. We got to do an I'm Rich and I'm Home Alone movie. Why was that the vibe of 1994? Like, why was this, we all want to watch movies about extremely fucking rich kids? Like, wh- who wants to watch that? What was going on?
1: Inflation? was. Do people have more money? And so, or was like product placement, like really a thing? So they're just like, we need to find a way to put more stuff in movies.
0: You know, the 80s was the Wall Street, Gordon Gecko, Roaring Reagan 80s. All of these people were glorifying capitalism, and then they had kids, and in 1994, their kids needed to go to movies, and they said, "I want a, my kid to go see a movie that glorifies that same capitalism." So this is Wall Street for kids. I got,
1: I got one more. I have a couple more things that I wanted to make some notes of. Uh, my one of my favorite lines that I remembered as a kid, for whatever reason, was "Juice, no thanks, I'm not thirsty."
0: We talked about. We don't, I don't about remember that.
1: much from this movie, but I remember that line.
0: Yeah, is that why? Is that why you keep saying that to me all the time? That's your catchphrase. Uh, yeah, suddenly
2: the past twenty five years of friendship makes. Sense. That's
0: why you kept insisting on that being your catchphrase for the podcast.
2: Yeah, I say it every episode, and it never makes it to Sean end. cuts it every
0: time. Oh, I'm going to stop cutting it now that I understand. It didn't make any sense before. I kept saying Robbie, and you kept saying no, thanks. I'm not thirsty, and I just kept. I don't. I don't get it, man. I
1: also. I also wrote down that the setup. That the kid gets the million bucks is so, so very dumb, so convoluted, so stupid. But the moment that Bitterman is like, do you want big bills or small ones <laughs> or whatever he said?
2: Yeah, yeah, do, do you want big bills? No, thanks. Regular size, Regular will, be size fine. will be fine.
1: And then when he's loading it all in the backpack, that was quite fun. I don't know if it's the inner capitalist in me but like the way it was shot the music cues it was kind of jaunty and just like this expression of him getting away with it was was actually quite fun
0: in that scene and then subsequently through a lot of the montages the music cue is just oh yeah by yellow yeah it's just bow bow (laughs) (laughs) really it's that but like it's it's an imitation of that like clearly The director was like, I want this to have like Ferris Bueller day off vibes. And the composer just put in a ripoff of Oh Yeah by Yellow. Really?
2: That's John Hughes too, isn't it?
0: Yeah, that's John Hughes, which is Home Alone. Right.
2: Okay, yeah, just making that clear. All right, so where are we, Bobby? So, okay, so where the bidding war for the house, where this is your, this is the Home Alone 2 moment where he uses his computer. To pretend he is a real man getting into a bidding war.
0: The asking price for this house, this castle. We don't know what the asking price is. No, we do. Yeah. Oh. So I paused. It's on that screen, on that floppy disk, real okay. estate in the 90s. He pulls it up. It says the asking price is 220000 plus closing costs. Okay. First of all... Preston comes in with a bid of one hundred sixty. So he has been a millionaire for oh, exactly five minutes, and he's already a so dick good. about his money. <laughs> he's already lowballing he's everybody. So smart. He underbids by but so much. It, They're asking two hundred twenty. He bids yeah, one hundred sixty, which happens to be ten thousand more than Miguel Ferrer's, which, which he, he doesn't, doesn't know. know. He's just, just <laughs> coming in hot with one hundred sixty. Yeah, perfect. Exactly. He he's he's been a millionaire for five minutes, and he is. Full Gordon Gecko, all right? Well, you've heard because his dad has been screaming at him his
2: whole life about capitalism. He knows how it works at this point. The American way. (laughs) He's
0: a Sam the Eagle. (laughs) His father does give off a Sam the Eagle vibe. He does. You know, and Sam the Eagle does seem like he's impotent too, so it makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) His impotent muppet father.
2: (laughs) That adds another layer to our, like, other movie we made up while Robbie was away.
1: (laughs) What what, what did I miss?
0: Oh, but we have a whole backstory theory. Our theory is is that um, Preston is actually the son of the mother and Henry the driver. Which is why Henry enjoys spending so much time with him, because it's his only chance to get to know his biological son. Oh my god, yes. Because he promised the mother that he would not interfere. Okay, And that's why his father hates him, because his father knows that he's not his actual son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Because he can't sexually get it up, because his mother constantly complains about how he doesn't know how to make love to a woman.
1: Oh my god.
0: In front of their children. (laughs) In front of their children. That's how mad she is. She's openly berating his sexual virulity in front of the children. That's what it's come to. Uh,
1: All right. So where were we? We were still on the... uh, Yeah, we were still on the... uh, Just he bought the house. He got it out from uh, under
2: uh, Quigley's hands.
0: Mm -hmm. So he ends up paying... Three hundred thousand.
2: Three hundred thousand. Where the mother gets one of her five or six lines of dialogue, where she comes back up the stairs. I'm gonna be gone till, till, till two. You know what? Play it safe. Make it three. And that line makes its way onto the phone. No one clues into the fact that wait, now a human being spoke on the other end of the line and is bidding. Never mind. They said three. We're, take it.
0: Three hundred thousand. Sold. A human woman, a completely different <laughs> person, said the number three. That's legally binding and, under these yeah. negotiations. <laughs>
1: I love, I love how Miguel Ferrer just, just, just was like, no, I'm not going to counter that. He's like this crook, right? <laughs> he's buying a castle and he's just like, he got outbid by a child, but even he has principles like the premise of it is there's no reason for him to be to doing this counterbidding. It's not like he needs it for a plan or something. He just wants to
0: buy a house. He just <laughs> wants
1: the castle. Yeah. He'll just get a castle. different castle.
0: It's a <laughs> buyer's market. He can find a different castle for 150000 Yeah.
2: I do also like like, the weird, I mean, I don't say like, but this other weird aspect of the rest of this movie is Miguel Ferrer just narrowly missing Preston and being like in almost the same place at almost the same time. And it starts with this scene, like this is where the like sixth sense, sorry, not sixth sense, uh, fifth element of the hero and the villain are never actually in this, almost in the same place at the same time and never actually meet.
0: Well, he's just down the block. He's literally two doors down. He's two doors down he,
2: uh, and being outbid by the child that robbed him.
0: So he goes to Bitterman and he says, okay, so this kid took the money. We got to find this kid. How are we going to find this kid? And Bitterman's <laughs> proposal is literally look in the classifieds.
2: Yeah. Kids, they're always doing stuff. <laughs> and see where kids go. See what kids do. Because kids read the newspaper and the classifieds and this is where they go. It's the dumbest plan. It's
0: the dumbest plan. It's quite possibly the most insane it doesn't even make sense from a plot standpoint because moving forward all he needs to do is all he needs to say is let's go where kids are kids are at the water pools you know water parks they are at swimming pools they go to hot dog stands (laughs) and pools
1: opposed to those non-water pools
0: (laughs) sorry and they goes to the fountains. Like he could just name things. Instead he says, I don't know what kids do. Let's look in the paper in the kids section.
1: I was like, when was the last time Bitterman was around a kid? But apparently he has a family because Quigley keeps threatening, threatening to murder them. <laughs> yeah. So this is the buying montage, I think
2: montage number two, I think yeah. right now. Yeah, by this point you are correct. Yeah. This, but this is the happy montage, not yeah, the is... let's parade this poor child montage.
0: He has ten thousand dollars in a wad of those bills. So, presuming he hasn't altered that, the wad that he hands to Henry is $10,000. So, he's given Henry a pretty fat retainer to hang out with him. Yeah. And Henry sees a good deal when he – he knows a good deal when he sees it, all right? This is assuming he's not actually the kid's biological father. But assuming he's just a stranger who says, this kid's going to pay me $10,000 to drive around, eat ice cream – play video games, and test out my stand-up material on him. Sold. (laughs) I will spend the next six days hanging out with this kid. His, His routine got a little grating at the very end. But for the most part, yeah, I dug him. He goes on a long time. He does like a tight five on like killing birds with one stone. Oh, that was great. And skinning cats. And skinning cats. So the kid buys everything and then uh, Shay, the bank teller shows up. And the reason she shows up is that I believe the real estate broker takes all the cash he paid for the castle to the bank. Yeah. And then the cash has (laughs) FBI watermarks on it.
1: Which, okay – so is Bitterman actually trying to get Miguel Ferrer caught?
0: Well, I guess Shea has marked – like, because they know what he's doing, they've marked the cash oh that God, he's planning really? to use. That's but, the only explanation.
1: Why is it marked? So he got it out of a safe. So she would have had to have access to that money before he put it in the safe or had access to the safe, right? Otherwise, she's just marking random bills. He pulls it out of a safe. Not the safe. He has a safe in his office. I, either, either I guess she did that or – uh, Bitterman is actually trying to sell out Miguel Ferrer again he might
0: be we don't actually know what happens at the end maybe Bitterman was in on the whole thing because he really doesn't want to be there at the bank or no. with Miguel Ferrer <laughs> I don't know what he, he wants to do anything he just seems very upset with everything that's going on in the whole movie so because of this because she sees the money and she knows that it was used to buy this house by a man named Macintosh, she goes there and she sees Preston again and she says hey little boy that I've befriended <laughs> With no one around, and I've walked into the backyard again. This keeps happening. It, These adults shit? keep walking into backyards and uh, approaching small children.
2: There, There is a slightly creepier scene that takes place before, uh, where she is running, she's jogging through the neighborhood, and what he's eating, a eight-pound bucket of ice cream yeah.
0: in the yeah, yeah. limousine. Oh, goes, I missed that part. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, he, he
2: he's jogging, and he goes, oh, it's Shay, and she says, oh, you remembered my name, and he says, yeah, I have a good memory. You see Henry in the front of the cab being like, great job, good, great job, just keep it up. It gets, this is going to get so much worse. But that was like, I, I cringed each time. She's out for a
1: jog, and then she jogs up to the undercover fbi van which just happens to be on the same street what was she hoping to accomplish on that jog it's not by mr mcintosh's house they're just on a street coming back from a store so by happenstance she just happens to be going for a jog and the undercover fbi van happens to be there like, the contrivances of this are so stupid.
0: We don't know. Maybe she has a, a second undercover sting going on. <laughs> Maybe she's flirting with a second 11-year-old boy. There's an entirely uh, separate yes. story going on. She is grooming some other boy for FBI-related reasons. this That's just what she does. She has, like, three or four of them. At any rate, she shows up at the pool in the backyard. She's looking for Macintosh. And Preston says, Macintosh isn't here. And she says, Well, can I can I meet with yeah. him tonight? And he says, No, he's busy tonight, but I'm available. And she goes, You? And he goes, Yeah, I handle all of Macintosh's financial affairs, <laughs> and I can tell you everything about him. And so she goes, Really? And he goes, Yeah. No one, no one questions well, this. I mean, from at this point, the movie is still trying to establish An out where they're saying this woman wants information on Macintosh and she's just being nice to this kid to try and get information on Macintosh. And he says he's going to tell him about Macintosh if, you know, tonight let's go get some food, go out for dinner. Okay. But then you cut to the date because it's a date. Because he takes her to like a romantic high-end restaurant and she is wearing... A cocktail dress. Mm -hmm. Can we... I want to
2: go... I want to go back really quickly... Really very quickly to the scene in the house. Because I think this is after he's bought everything. All the movers are in town. He's bought so much shit in the house that knowing his dad can't get out of his driveway. The thing for me in this movie that really I couldn't understand for me... Is the criminals are just literally driving around in a van looking for children. Being like, where do kids hang out? Where do kids hang out? How do they not hear about the the child that bought a mansion... That the criminal was going to buy. (laughs) Everybody in town knows about this Macintosh guy and how he bought about a million dollars worth of stuff to put into his house.
0: And they're just driving around looking for children when literally everybody else in town is like, wow, look at this guy. They're shooting in Austin. Why they didn't just make it Austin, I don't know. Because if it was Austin, at least you can say this is a city of Two million people. I don't know exactly how big Austin is, but it's very big. Sure, you're not going to know everything that's going on, but this is Hillside, Indiana. Hillside, Indiana, mm. which I looked up is a town of like ten thousand people. So clearly, oh this God. is not representing that. But even if it's supposed to be, oh, it's a different hillside. There isn't other than Indianapolis. There's there are not big cities in Indiana. Like so, this is not a big city under any kind of fictional reality. So yes, everyone in town is at this fucking house. And they're driving around an empty town looking for kids. And the one place they don't look is the kid who bought a mansion. The the, the kid who bought the mansion he was going to buy.
1: The scene when he's moving in his dad's just like... Preston, what do you what What are you doing here? What's all this stuff? And he goes, "Oh, I work for Mister Macintosh." His dad's like having this conversation, like it's an actual logical conversation to be had. <laughs> That's the best part he told his son that you know you got to earn your way. <laughs> yeah, the best part he's like on the top of this this castle in one of the turrets with a with a megaphone, basically barking orders at people. And yesterday he was just like playing in his room, and his dad's just like, "What do you what's going on over here, son?" what's happening? (laughs) He's like, I got a job working for Mr. McIntosh. Oh, okay. Well, I can't get out of
0: my driveway. (laughs) Like
1: that's his, that's his only question. That's his only concern about that whole thing.
0: It's now the boss of what appears to be hundreds of (laughs) overnight. (laughs) Yeah. his dad doesn't question it. It's like, Oh, that's new. Interesting. (laughs) He's really doing well for himself. I don't remember you having that many employees before. (laughs)
1: I don't remember you having that many employees yesterday.
0: (laughs) You always, you always worked for Mister McIntosh. So then, the the kid goes on the date with the thirty-five-year-old woman. Also, so dumb. It wasn't. It wasn't dumb. It was creepy. Fuck, is it creepy? She's in. She's in a cocktail dress. There's no two different views of what's going on. She is dating an eleven-year-old boy, presumably as part of her fbi undercover routine can you imagine this getting out can you imagine fox news what they would do with the story of an fbi agent that seduced an 11 year old boy in order to get information this is
2: also this is the other as we said the mom exists basically for sex jokes when the little boy leaves his house he says anyway i got a date with like a hot brunette and the dad like looks at the boy and goes you lucky dog And I'm like, the dad's perving over a woman he doesn't know exists. And the mom is there to just shoot dad a dirty look.
0: I know. They have a terrible marriage. And
2: you have this like awkward dinner where the boy, um, basically, I think he might have just like read the game before he went on this date with the girl. Uh, He orders, well, he orders her a salad. Um, He says she'll have the salad. I was like, because it's the 90s. And yeah, when we got to have salad. Uh, uh, I don't want to keep listing these things.
1: (laughs) Again, going back to the terrible pre-dinner dinner scene. Because he said he's – wait, why is he having supper with his family before he goes and has supper?
0: He's a busy man, okay? Preston has a lot going on. There's a lot of plates spinning. But Preston
1: says to his dad, "Um, I'll run by your business plan, 442 by Mr. McIntosh.
0: Oh, yeah. That's that's why his parents will allow him to go out on this date with this 35-year-old woman because he promises that he'll get McIntosh to invest in his father's proposal. Plan 442 or something like that yeah. but
1: It's never referenced how Preston knows about it, it's never referenced What it is, it's
0: never brought up again I'm pretty sure it's another Financial embezzlement scheme Ah uh, yes um, His father is stealing computers from the office And he also has A financial embezzlement scheme To uh, put money Into a project that doesn't exist That he will make off with the cash
1: It's the, it's the brother's handshake business The hand and foot business <laughs>
0: And they're the owners, so they're the ones going to be holding the bag. He's going to make off with the cash. (laughs) So the other thing we talked about, Robbie, is how under Snyder's beat sheet, you need to have an opening image that establishes the tone and the theme of the movie. And then hopefully you have that mirrored with a closing image that mirrors the opening image. And so the opening image is a criminal running down the train tracks. And so our proposal is that the closing uh-huh. image would be Preston's father running in the opposite yeah, direction with all the money he has stolen from <laughs> Plan Four Four Two, as he's left his two sons holding the bag as the owners of hand and foot, and they're
2: teenagers, so they can't be prosecuted.
0: Plan Four Four Two is just a yep. handshake business. perfect.
2: I like it, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it's so
0: dumb.
1: Yeah, we gotta get through it. We gotta get through Didn't it. Do we even keep talking about the movie at this
0: point? <laughs> so he goes on this romantic date with this 35-year-old woman. And at the end of this romantic date, runs through a fountain and gets they both get very, very wet. And they dance
2: in the fountain. She gets she she Hugs him and dances with him in the fountain um, while water is getting blown up her skirt.
0: What was she being told by A, the director, B, her agent, (sighs) C, anyone in her family or circle of friends who cared about her and her career who could tell her, don't play this like you're perving on this 11 year old boy. Because she wasn't hearing that. She played it like she was in love with an 11-year-old boy. She played it exactly like a meat cute romantic comedy scene. Oh, my God. When
1: she's, like, about to get out of the limo, it's one of the... She is so horned up. Like, it is quite disturbing.
0: Why didn't someone stop her from playing it like this? Like, I, maybe the director was telling her to do this, and she was going along with it, but it's insane. Probably.
2: I, I really, I don't I don't want to say anything bad about Karen Duffy in this film. Because I really do, I just, I felt so bad for her watching this movie the whole She's time. the one female character besides the mom in the movie. Um, and the, the, the bitchy bank teller.
0: Yeah, I know. Like, it's it's horrible, but like...
2: And, like, I just felt bad for her because you know she was being told to play this. And I mean, if you're in this position and you're an up-and-coming actor and you're kind of on your trajectory up and somebody says, Oh, Disney wants you to do this movie... It's Disney. You say yes. This is a big opportunity for you. And it's then a Disney movie. you sign up for it and are like what the fuck did I sign up for? You sign the contract. You don't yeah. I I don't want to put any of the blame for this on her. It's that like I don't, I don't know I mean
0: I don't know what I could say in that. I'm sure it was a hard situation, but I just like you can play it with less love in your eyes. Is all I'm saying. That's like it's it's so uncomfortable like what is happening i
2: mean who knows maybe maybe there's this like other element where she was just like i'll just like play it as if i'm just having fun with the kid and it's all just creepy editing i don't i don't know maybe yeah
0: maybe there were multiple you know they just took the takes that looked particularly
1: rupert wainwright was just like now do one where you look like you want to have sex with him and she's like just
0: for fun just for fun it'll be for the blooper we're not gonna
2: use it We're not gonna use it yeah
1: yeah this is for safety just just for safety we're gonna do one that was the one they used
0: and then she goes to the premiere and that's her role as Someone who is now no longer allowed within, you know, 150 meters of schools. I, uh,
1: I did write a note here that said, who greenlit this? The dude who got the bag of cash. <laughs> yeah.
0: From Snyder. That's the guy who greenlit it. He got a bag of <laughs> cash and he didn't find out it was fake cash until after the contracts had been signed. Yeah, I was
2: like, Oh, no, this is fake. I didn't look. It's all newspaper in between. And then realized he like signed a million dollar check to a company named like Hand and Foot
0: Production <laughs> Company. <laughs> Cut to Snyder running down the train. (laughs)
1: this is the one of the scenes where they finally catch up with preston
2: after just randomly driving around the city they find him they
1: they find him dancing in the water fountain with shay uh and uh, miguel goes shh (laughs) (laughs) whispers tells them to be very quiet and then like sneaks away like a burglar right? And yeah. then it just... Like he's hunting wabbits. It's ridiculous. He's like he's hunting wabbits. And then it just cuts to him and the and Tone Loke and Bitterman just charging <laughs> headfirst down the middle of the sidewalk at him.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. So then the kid jumps in the limo and the two of them get away. Just to point out where we are here, the midpoint of the movie at about the halfway point, you are also about halfway through the second act. This is where the character is in an inverse position from where they're going to be at the end of the film. So, again, I'm referencing Snyder's Beach mm-hmm. So, at the end of the film, the kid doesn't have money and he doesn't have the girl. The midpoint of the film, he's at a high point. He has all the money and he has the girl. All right? This is as good as things get for him from the perspective of before he learns any lessons. And then you get the turn because then as you move into act the second half of Act 2 and the second half of the movie, you have the bad guys closing in. And that's exactly what happens here. Right after his high point, the bad guys show up. It's literally in the same scene. After his 35-year-old girlfriend leaves, he goes back to his castle to find that he doesn't have anybody there. He doesn't have any friends. His biological father, Henry, who's also his driver, doesn't live with him. And he's a bit lonely about that. Although it does
1: look like... Henry
2: has his own room in the place? Yeah, I think Henry does live there sometimes,
0: (laughs) most of the time.
1: He has his own room! (laughs) Well, it is a castle.
0: What explanation does this driver have? At, At the beginning, he explains he has a boss. Because when the kid comes up, he says, my boss doesn't like taking baseball cards as currency. Sure. What explanation does he have when someone says, what have you been up to? He says, I moved in with an 11-year-old. I live in one of his rooms. <laughs>
2: when the answer is like, why did you do that? Because he gave me $10,000 in sequential bills. Like, okay, yeah, fair enough.
0: And all we do is eat ice cream and play video games.
1: Yeah. This is uh, – right before this is the scene uh, – right before he's talking to Henry, uh, the party planner shows up because – it's going to be Preston's birthday on Friday uh, and he invites uh, Shay to the birthday party. So he has to throw a huge birthday party and he says it's Mr. McIntosh's birthday too. Um, and he invite, he hires the party planner. She's wearing what I can only call a pirate Outfit. She's wearing some sort of Jack Sparrow clothes She kinda
2: the way she was dressed almost reminded me she reminded like the way she was dressed almost reminded me of like Hillary Banks Sure, uh, Fresh Prince. Those like really just kind of outrageous like high-end fashion stuff from the nineties. Yeah, no, uh
1: out of time. It just looks like it's some sort of pirate costume. Um, like the ruffly shirts from Seinfeld around the same era.
0: Well, this woman is gonna throw a party for apparently I'm pretty sure everyone in town is going to come to this party. Like
1: doesn't have a guest list. <laughs> Cause Preston doesn't know to invite anybody.
0: He doesn't have any friends. He does so she just invites everybody in town. Bitterman would have been invited. <laughs> <laughs> he would have been invited. <laughs> like, our villains really didn't it's... need to spend time trying to hunt down this kid. He's the president of the bank. Of course he would have gotten an invitation. He
1: would have been there for sure. Uh, It's 58 minutes in is when Henry says, Oh no, I'm going to go hang out with some friends. I wish you would have asked me sooner. Uh, Do you got any friends you could go hang out with? Uh, Just like really driving the point home. This was the first inkling that money can't buy you happiness. So in a a 90 minute movie, 58 minutes are dedicated towards how money is the best thing ever. And then (laughs) 32 yeah, minutes yeah. of it, are saying, any money's not the best thing.
0: I really don't understand what his concept of friendship was because like he doesn't seem to invite any kids over once he has money. He plays alone or with yep. or with Henry. Making up
1: for lost time with his dad.
0: <laughs> with his biological father. Butch shows up and he throws him out, which makes a little bit of sense if you're like, oh well. You know, if you weren't going to be friends with me when I was poor, I'm not going to be friends with you now. Except he's paying Henry. It's not like Henry is a good friend.
1: Did did Butch have a costume change throughout the whole film? I don't think he did. I think he was wearing the exact same outfit the whole way through.
0: They shot it all on the same day.
1: I'm assuming. But they just didn't give him a costume change.
0: So Preston's looking for friends, so he bikes to the park. And at the park, I got to point something out here because it was very – I didn't even notice it at first, but – As he's biking through a park, there's a big sign. And the sign says, uh, upcoming location of the Macintosh Memorial Children's Park. What? And so at some point off screen, he has donated money to build a children's park. There's so much that was cut out of this film. So uh, he goes to the park, but he finds that nobody wants to hang out with him, even though he's got money. Which is the exact same fucking thing that happens in Richie Rich. The same movie. It came out like four months later. They have the exact same beats. He goes home, and he throws yeah. his stupid little fucking party. I'm getting so sick of talking about this movie. I'm sorry. Yeah, he gets chased by the bad guys. The, the bad guys find him in they the They chase park. him again, and he gets away again. They don't just chase him. They drive their car through the park, almost killing several
2: children. And this is the part of the movie I said... No one calls the cops. Yeah. There are payphones everywhere. It's the 90s. Cops would just be hanging out. Yep. Law enforcement do not exist in this movie yep. when this car drives through a park attempting to clearly murder a child. And
1: it is Quigley's car. We're assuming it's registered to him because he was going to buy yeah. the house in his own name.
0: And he crashes it. And just, we assume, leaves it on top of four cars? Just remember, the whole movie started because Quigley was so afraid of cops finding out (laughs) that he ran over this kid's bike that he gives the kid a blank check and then runs off. And at this point, he is now driving through the park, running over (laughs) children, and then crashes his car and doesn't seem to care.
1: Then um, the hand and foot guys, his brothers- Go work for Mr. Macintosh too. There's the scene where, where the dad, the the not biological father, is sitting the at stepfather. the dinner table, and he's, the wicked stepfather, the wicked stepfather, is sitting at the dinner table. He's like, hmm, "Honey, where are our kids? <laughs> they all work for Mr. Macintosh. Huh. Has that always been the case?" <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but the brothers they say uh, about Shay that she's just a gold digger because all women are gold diggers, pretty much. There's only one female character in this whole film, and she's terrible because she's just interested in the Mister McIntosh for the money. Yeah, which honestly would have been better if she was just interested in the kid for the money.
0: Yeah, no, I got no. <laughs> don't worry, she's not a gold yeah. digger. She does love this 11-year-old boy. Yeah. I know. <laughs> you know? Like, what? What is, what is this
2: thing? Okay. Uh. Oh. And, like, ev- everybody hits on her. And, like, I have, like, this movie goes out of its way to be shitty to this yeah, character. Yeah. no, shape. I know. We're at the party.
1: Uh, Preston realizes he doesn't know any of these literal adult strangers that got invited to his birthday party. Because why would he? <laughs> he didn't invite any of his, we'll go with acquaintances from school because like why would bankers he? Yeah. and shit? Yeah. And so he's not having any fun and the party planner comes up to him and says, bitch better have my money basically. Uh, and so he goes up to his room, which is where you got that screenshot, Sean of the list of finances. I don't know if you want to talk about that now or, or later.
0: Yeah, I do. Okay. I do. So he opens up his accounting software and his accounting software keeps track of all of his expenses And so I took a screenshot of those expenses and I'm just going to go through them a little bit here. He spent $23,000 on his security system. He spent $35,000 on the video system. Well, it's a lot of TVs on that wall. He spent $26,000 on that go-kart racetrack. He spent $12,000 on the batting cage. All right. He spent $5,000 on (laughs) Coca-Cola... Hagen Daz, charles chips and nabisco he spent this is my favorite part thirty thousand dollars on plan 442 he <laughs> invested no sorry it's three hundred thousand he spent three hundred thousand yeah. dollars on plan 442 they're not broke his father's making off with all the money oh my
2: god his dad's scheme worked He yeah oh, he
1: got oh the money oh my god why is this not referenced in the film
0: at all because the original end of the movie is the father making off with the money <laughs> and pinning pinning it on his biological sons in their handshake company yeah and here's the mac kids park forty thousand dollars i like that the city Took
2: $40,000 in cash. No questions asked. From a, a little
1: boy. Yeah.
2: A little boy walks up to the city
1: with $40,000 in cash. And this,
0: they're like, sure, we will take your $40,000, little boy. What is, what is this movie? At the end, it says total expenses, $999,667. So he actually discovers that he's broke. He spent a million dollars in six days, except he hasn't. He should have stuck with his original Mac software because whatever fancy new accounting software he has now doesn't work. I I added it together. There's actually only $164,000 of stuff that he bought. And then there's $300,000 for the house, $300,000 that his father took, (laughs) and $40,000 for the park. But that's still doesn't add up to 999,000. It's funny cuz
2: you sent me that list and I added it up and I was like there's no, he's he's got like $250,000
0: left somewhere. The movie couldn't even figure out how to spend this much money. It's like Brewster's Millions except for the fact that he didn't spend all the cash. They're just like fuck it. Uh let's uh, we got to get to the end of this movie. We're we're getting close to yeah. 90 minutes people. Let's just say he spent it all now. We'll cut away. Really fast.
1: No one, no one will be able to take a picture of this. Maybe his father took
0: that too, and then yeah, <laughs> cooked the
1: books. Preston just hands his dad three hundred thousand dollars
2: in cash, <laughs> and his dad takes it. The dad is an asshole. We, we this, this has been established. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Where he took a cash investment to invest into his other son's <laughs> business with computers he stole from work. None of his children will be charged because they are all minors. He will get away scot free.
0: It is a perfect representation of American capitalism, I have to say. This is the
2: scene where
0: the dad
1: pours his heart out to the back of a chair to a total stranger, basically saying, and I wrote this down, all of a sudden, money has become so important to Preston. All of a sudden? Are you kidding me? Like, it's the only thing he's ever taught his family. It's the only thing he cares about. Yeah, but he's just like, yeah, we're going for birthday supper with Pre- for Preston, but he's not with us without Preston. Uh, he seems to be working a lot lately. Uh, I seem to be missing his, he's missing his childhood uh, and I'm missing it too. so if you if you wouldn't mind, could you send Preston home early? By the way, what does he do for you? Uh, he seems to take care of all your finances. He gave me three hundred thousand dollars. Is that a bug board?
2: <laughs> My, my favorite part about that scene is that the father drives to the castle. It's down the floor. Yeah. They live two doors down. Because <laughs> he chases the car.
0: He chases the car down the street. Well, there's a, shot
2: of, there's a shot of the dad driving up to the house. And I was like, why did he drive?
0: Okay, so now Preston's finally learned his lesson. He doesn't want... To be here anymore because he actually doesn't have any money He's wasted it all and it didn't bring him happiness What he really wants is just to be back with his Evil wicked step family Who knows why But that is what he wants to do That's Because his,
1: his, his stepfather Poured his heart out in one scene Made everything right That's in, that's in uh, Snyder's uh, script writing process We're assuming
0: Okay so right now we are at The Dark Knight of the Soul This is the lowest point of the character It is the break into Act 3, which is exactly what's coming up because Act 3 is just Home Alone. He goes downstairs and he tells everyone in the party to leave because, he, well, he basically says, I don't have any money to pay for this. And then the party planner tells everyone to leave. Yeah. Stop having fun, everybody. There's no money to pay for this. So everybody go home. So that everyone takes the presents they brought. And then they... Pour the wig off of the party planner?
2: Yeah, that is a thing that happens. Somebody pulls the wig off the party planner. I was like, it was a little added note of, oh, good. Well, at least they were. No, I don't even want to say at least they were. But I was like, oh, okay. So the script ran out its way to be shitty to another woman for no other
0: reason. Oh, God. What a, this is, this, this thing. All right, so. And
2: then, yeah, we, we get the Home Alone hijinks where everyone leaves the party. The criminals and the bank owner show up and the bank owner says, hey, w- hey, wait a second. Wait a second. This kid's actually set you up perfectly. Just become Macintosh. Nobody knows what it looks like, but everyone knows it exists. You just slide into this life. You've already got all this stuff. You've already got the house. You could be mayor for some reason. <laughs> yeah, you could You could be mayor. To be fair, he is a philanthropist. He did buy a park for children. Fair?
0: But he also invested $400,000 in a handshake business. <laughs> and anyway, the kid runs away. Um... All right, okay. I, I can't. I can't deal with this movie anymore. I'm totally this. This thing is is ending. Uh, so I, Home Alone yeah. happens. So this is actually the most
1: amount of notes I've ever taken for a film for this podcast. Wow. Check. I wrote so wow. many. Okay, go through them. So they they use, as he said, Home Alone. That, but in this case, they use all of the material possessions that he bought to get into hijinks. Capitalism pays off. Um. But how is, how is Preston all over that house? There's no continuity. There's no, like, setup of where things are. There's no spatial awareness in this. It's like uh, he's he's under a table one second, and then Miguel is flipping over tables. And the next, he's up in a tree with the boxing gloves. Like, literally, it's cut from one shot to the next, and he's... Somehow magicked his way up to the top.
0: Well, in Home Alone, Macaulay Culkin plans, like, all day to, like, have this entire setup and system about how he's going to outsmart these criminals with one, you know, device after another. None of this is planned. They literally surprise him in his office And then he runs outside and proceeds to home alone them somehow. Like he's just got it all set up. I don't know. I don't care. I don't really care. They're just saying, let's do home alone. So they do home alone for 15 minutes until eventually he out home alone them. And then the home aloning is over. Congratulations. The cops show up. The FBI shows up. They pull out their guns, right? And
1: they say, okay, wait, what the hell is going on here? (laughs) Because they don't actually... Well, they come to arrest McIntosh. McIntosh. Right? But they're just like, yeah. what the hell is happening here? Bitterman, what are you doing there? Who, who's Juice? Who, Tell Loke what is going on. And then they're like, okay, who's this FBI most wanted criminal, Miguel Ferrer? They, they don't clock <laughs> him. They don't clock him. He says, I'm Mr. McIntosh. Why at that moment? I know I know, they were going to say you can just claim to be Mr. Mr. McIntosh, right? And you could run for mayor. But why at that moment does Miguel Ferrer say, I'm Mr. Macintosh"? For the life of me, I could not figure it out. To end the movie. Okay, that's got to be it. It's just perfect illogical character logic. Because there's no reason that this hardened criminal would just give... They say, we're here for Macintosh, And he's like, I'm Macintosh. Get off my property.
2: Like Bobby said, it thankfully ends the movie on the scene the Undertaker a la WWE fake out where Miguel Ferrer fakes his death in the pool and then springs to life and puts Preston in a chokehold. The movie froze there and I actually like couldn't get the streaming server to come back up and I tried to load the screen, so I messaged Sean and said Oh well I guess I just get to make up My own ending of the movie now Where he he I get I, he gets out home alone By the criminals They proceed to drown Preston in the pool Miguel Ferrer then becomes Macintosh slides into his life A la Talidur Mr. Ripley Eventually becomes Mayor of Hillside I really wish that I hadn't Tried to boot up Disney Plus afterwards Because of the actual <laughs> ending For the film that we get It's
0: so much more immoral Than what you just described yeah. What you just described would have been a fitting ending where he starts a new life a tabula rasa a blank check if you will yeah. as this macintosh nice. but no instead what we get yeah. oh robbie what is it shay stanley which happens to be her real name the undercover
1: fbi agent went undercover using her real name she says to preston you know not all of what we did on our date was fake and then Says, "Come talk to me in ten years." And Preston's like five. She says seven, and they agree on six. And then she kisses an eleven-year-old boy on the lips. On the lips. On so the lips. six years. If he's eleven, he's still only seventeen. So, this FBI agent. He, but he's he's just
2: turned twelve. It's
0: his birthday. Yeah, it's his birthday. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Six years from that day is his 18th birthday. That is literally what she's going to do. She's going to go out with him on his 18th birthday. I bet you,
1: Mr. I wrote a book about script writing is so impressed with himself on that.
2: I have never actually been more mad at the ending of a movie. I was screaming what the fuck as loud as I could so many times. This is a rare movie where... The actor playing Preston is actually 11 years old. Normally they're like 15, 16 playing a younger child. He really is 11 years old when they're filming this scene. He's actually younger than the character. He was 12 by the time they rapped, I think. She is, or I believe was, she was 31, 30, should have been 30, when they were making this movie, and he's, he's 11 years old. And this, this, that's the thing that disgusted me. It was nothing to do with plot. It was that, a room full of people thought it was acceptable to make a thirty-year-old woman do this. I was, just, I was so fucking mad. I, I don't know. I, I can go on and on about it, but it, like, it was. I
0: was just like, what, what the, what the fuck?
2: I, I legitimately, I, I can't even fucking joke about it. I was like so disgusted yeah. by it. It was pretty bad.
0: Speaking of how disgusting and immoral this movie is, let's take a look at what the Christians thought about it. So, on the film website movieguide.org, which is a Christian Review website that talks about uh, the morality content of family films, and about whether they're appropriate. How did you get on this? So, here's what they say. Um, Blank check. Language. None. Violence. None. Sex. None. Nudity. None. Um, Content. Moderately questionable elements. Entertainment quality. Three out of four stars. Okay. Uh, Content warnings. It has a biblical worldview in redemptive ending, upholding honesty, truth, importance of family, and punishment of wrongdoing. (laughs) It has one obscenity, one mild exclamatory profanity, which is specifically, my God, a few mild vulgarities, and one obscene gesture. There is slapstick violence, including one man struck in the groin with a baseball. Criminal escapes jail and attempts to launder stolen money, but is eventually caught. Overall, Blank Check is an enjoyable film with a bare minimum of objectionable material. There are actually several worthwhile elements in the film. Money doesn't buy happiness. One's family is more precious than <laughs> possessions, and a fool and his money are soon parted. While there is nothing really new here, the acting, filming, directing, and screenwriting all add up to a very decent movie the entire family should be able to enjoy. You know what? I don't think they mentioned the pedophilia. No. No. They don't.
2: Apparently this film has a, you, you looked at whatever movie movie guide you looked at, apparently this film has a
0: 9% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. When it came out, critics didn't like it, but audiences gave it an A- minus cinema score, and it did okay. It made $37 million off of a $13 million budget, so it was a moderately successful, family-friendly film that is really not family-friendly at all. No. I, think, I, I think that's it. I don't really have anything yeah. else to say about this. Uh, let's just rank it and get the hell out of here. Bottom of my fucking list. I, 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 that was the first thing I did after shutting the movie
2: off. Was I put it on the bottom of the list, and it's, it's going to stay there probably. Uh, I, I, I
1: just finished watching this like right before we started recording. Went straight from watching it to recording this. I hadn't actually thought about the ranking. Um, I remember actually liking this movie as a kid. Uh, I remembered the juice line and I remembered the water slide and holy crap did I want a water slide to my backyard Rewatching this movie it is no bueno although we didn't get to play our famous game because we had ended up playing one that was far fucking worse that's correct um, so it gets kind of points for that
0: uh, but uh, yeah. Okay, for anyone who's only listening to this episode, <laughs> Robbie's referring to the fact that in many of these Disney films, what we end up doing is playing spot the racism, and instead in this film, what we end up playing is spot the horrific misogyny and sexual abuse of minors. Yeah,
1: that game we played that one yeah. instead. So I, I mean, put it at the bottom, but it's it's hand in hand with some of the other ones.
0: So here's here's the problem I have. Currently, my bottom is Freaky Friday 2018. One of the reasons why Freaky Friday 2018 is at my bottom is that it contains a song where a 40-year-old woman sings about how horny she is for a 15-year-old boy with the lyrics, biology, biology, what have you done to me? Why can't my grown-up brain control my teenage parts? And then, points at her crotch oh my god that was quite uncomfortable and unpleasant this movie has a 30 year old woman hitting on an 11 year old boy which i guess is worse so i guess this one is going to go underneath but both of these movies at the bottom have very uncomfortable (sighs) relationships between adult women and minor boys (laughs) um Alright, uh what are we gonna do next? Can we please do something that's not terrible? Please. Uh, last week I was saying return to Oz. I really wanna do it. You you said blank check for this week, so you don't get another pick. <sighs> Damn it. Fine. That was a joke, but I
1: guess we
2: ended up doing it. Fine. I kinda wanna do bed knobs and broomsticks.
0: Alright, we'll do
2: bed knobs and broomsticks. Really scared because it was a childhood favorite of mine. Oh. You know, I've actually never seen bednob bed knobs and broomsticks? And I have a secondary memory of watching it with Sean once when he was wasted.
0: Weird. I don't have that memory. <laughs> <laughs> really? Huh. Okay. All right. Well, you'll have to remind me about that once uh, we come back next week to watch knobs and Broomsticks. All right. So uh, signing off. Thanks for joining us. Tune in next week. And uh, I think it's time for your catchphrase, Robbie. No, thanks. I'm not thirsty. That's the show. If you have a suggestion for a movie we should cover next time, send us an email at thepodcastwartennisshoes at gmail.com. We can also be reached on Facebook and Twitter at podwar. That's at P-O-D-W-O-R-E. And if you like the show, give us a good review on your podcast platform. It really helps us out. We hope you tune in next time. Thanks. Show.